the time for the mass and easy availability of these weapons must end. And today, they will. Well, that was easy. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK People Powered Radio 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN in Palinville, New York on WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, Janesville, Wisconsin, where we've got some good news on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950 KTNF. We also stream around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. I have been walking around with, well, two stories at least that I have been trying to get to for the past week or more that are really important, that I really want to cover, and Desi Doyen... I don't think I'm going to be able to do them today. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was to hear really that. when I went to bed last night. I thought, okay, today's the day I'm going to be able to finally get to these. Nope. As it turns out, uh, breaking news both last night and today, continuing breaking news today, uh, has once again sidelined everything. But some good news in that uh, there was a big win, a very big win today for voters in court on a story that we closely followed late last year. We'll get to that story, which broke earlier today and much more momentarily. But just a quick note on that story that broke last night after we got off air from the much more civilized than the U.S. nation of New Zealand in just six days, less than one week after a white supremacist shot up and killed 50 Muslim worshippers and injured dozens more at two different mosques. In a matter of minutes, New Zealand's prime minister has announced a ban on the type of semi-automatic military-style weapons and magazines used in the two separate massacres last week, which, by the way, police stopped uh, the shooter reportedly on his way to a third mosque for yet another bloodbath. But here's the news. The government of New Zealand announced a ban on military-style semi-automatic firearms and high-capacity magazines on Thursday. 
An immediate sales ban went into effect to prevent stockpiling. I mean, this went, she announced it and said, as of 3 p.m. today, to keep people from you know, running to gun stores to stockpile. And she said that new laws would be rushed through Parliament that would impose a complete ban on the weapons. That, according to Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, she said every semi-automatic weapon used in the terrorist attack on Friday will now be banned. The prohibition includes semi-automatic guns or shotguns that can be used with a detachable magazine that holds more than five rounds. It applies to accessories used to convert guns into what the government called military-style weapons. It does not apply to guns commonly used by farmers and hunters, including semi-automatic 22 caliber or smaller guns that hold up to 10 rounds or semi-automatic and pump-action shotguns with non-detachable magazines that hold up to five rounds. Firearms experts said the ban in New Zealand has wide support across the nation, just as such a ban has shown that it would have here in the U.S., according to polls, by the way. Polly Collins of Christchurch was thrilled to hear of the announcement as she visited a memorial to the victims there. She said the prime minister is amazing, it's not like in America where they have all these things and then they go, oh, yeah, we'll deal with the gun laws. And then nothing is done. So, yeah, America slam. Well deserved. Yes. Uh, even from uh, New Zealand. They see what a mess that we are shamelessly. One of New Zealand's largest gun retailers, Hunting and Fishing New Zealand. Of course, they were furious about the ban. Oh, I'm sorry. No, they're not furious about the ban. They said in a statement that they uh, support any government measure to permanently ban such weapons. While we have sold them in the past to a small number of customers, last week's events have forced a reconsideration that has led us to believe such weapons of war have no place in our business or our country. According to the uh, chief executive of the uh, one of the largest gun retailers in New Zealand, he said the company will no longer stock any assault-style firearms and will also stop selling firearms online. It's amazing what people, even business people, can do when they are not brainwashed for decades by tens of millions of dollars in propaganda and what politicians can do when they are not bribed by tens of millions of dollars in campaign funding. Am I right, NRA? I'm sorry, terrorist-supporting NRA, am I right? Ardern, the prime minister, said people could hand over their prohibited guns under an amnesty while officials developed a formal buyback system, which could cost up to $140 million. She said there will be, quote, tightly regulated exemptions for some owners, such as hunters and farmers, but as to turning these guns in, uh, Artern offered this uh, note uh, during her announcement today. For current owners of the weapons we have moved to ban, I acknowledge that many of you will have acted within the law. In recognition of that, and to incentivize their return, we will be establishing a buyback scheme. The police will then arrange for these weapons to be handed over and eventually destroyed. I do want to emphasize 
to manage the flow of information to the police online is the best way to arrange the return of your weapons. Do not arrive at the police station unannounced with these weapons in your possession. No. Please don't. Please don't. Please let the police know you are coming. Don't show up with a bunch of these weapons to the police station. Seems uh, like common sense, but she probably had to say it just to be sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how uh, commonsensical it actually is, so I'm glad she did say it. Uh, the man charged in the mosque attacks had purchased his weapons legally in New Zealand using a standard firearms license and enhanced their capacity by using 30-round magazines, quote, done easily through a simple online purchase, said Ardern just like they are done here in this country. But happily, no more, at least in New Zealand or in neighboring Australia, where uh, after a mass uh, shooting back in, I think, the 90s, early 90s, wasn't yep. it? They did something similar, and they haven't had a mass shooting since. It's remarkable what happens when you take smart action. Yeah, when you're not, you know, bribed by the weapons lobby to uh, continue the carnage, as we see in this country. Arden's announcement came as authorities said that all 50 bodies from the attacks on uh, last week were uh, formally, uh, formally identified. Our friend Eric Bollert tweeted, a reminder, GOP wouldn't even allow a vote on a background check bill after the Sandy Hook gun massacre that you'll recall when 20 school children and six adults were massacred in 2012. Never mind a gun ban or a gun or weapons ban. This was just for a background check bill to make sure that anyone who wants to buy a weapon has to have a background check first. And it wasn't voted down, mind you. They wouldn't even allow it to come up for a vote in this country. That's what we're talking about. This is not, you know, this is not about freedom, because if it was about freedom or democracy, then we would hold votes on these things in our uh, Congress. But those were not even allowed to have. Kristen Clark, the president of the National Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law, noted uh, the uh, announcement in New Zealand saying this is what happens when you have real leadership, political will to honor 50 lives lost and a country not beholden to the NRA. Well, we've got another busy green news report coming up a little bit later in the show today. But honestly, as with so much else these days, we're having trouble keeping up in this case uh, with the fossil fuel related climate catastrophes that are devastating the nation and the world right now at a seemingly ever-increasing pace. And it's not just seemingly. I think you had a story not long ago on the Green News Report, Desi, uh, that they are coming at a faster pace, these oh, sure. uh, disasters. Are they not? Yes, they are. Because when you heat the atmosphere, surprise, surprise, the atmosphere holds more moisture and more energy. It's going to wallop you with more of that energy in extreme weather events. So. We will have some of the latest details on the record costs of the ongoing record flooding now across much of the upper Midwest. That'll be on our, our GNR later. But what we didn't have time for today is the even later developments or the warnings about what is still to come. We've been uh, covering those floods in about half a dozen upper Midwest states like Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, Missouri, Michigan, etc. But the record flooding up there is, as you may have guessed, 
Now heading south, down the Mississippi River, scientists are warning that historic flooding could soon deluge parts of several southern states along the lower Mississippi, where floodwaters could persist for several weeks, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. Thursday's report on this is aimed at helping emergency managers and other safety officials now to prepare for flooding down south, which NOAA describes in an advisory as, quote, potentially historic. Rapidly melting snow in the upper Midwest is contributing to the flooding that will eventually make its way downstream to the Gulf Coast. According to forecasters, the expected surge of water from the north is unwelcome news already in parts of Mississippi, the state of Mississippi. In the western uh, part of that state, the Mississippi River is already swollen and has been flooding some communities that have been unprotected by levees since last month. That's uh, some of what they are facing, but one Mississippi region that is protected by levees, that is also already flooding. That's because smaller rivers cannot drain into the Mississippi River as normal because a floodgate that protects the region from even worse flooding by the big river, by the Mississippi, that has been closed since February 15 to prevent even worse flooding that may already have been underway. So they put up the floodgates, but that means all of the smaller rivers can't drain into it. That means all of the smaller rivers are now uh, swelling and flooding and backing up. And that's before all of this water from up north has made its way down south. Major flooding is already occurring uh, this week on the Mississippi uh, near several southern cities, including Arkansas City, Arkansas, Natchez, Mississippi, and Baton Rouge, Louisiana, according to river gauges and data from NOAA. So all of this is happening, as we'll discuss in the uh, Green News report later on, as Trump's EPA chief is saying... There's nothing to worry about. Don't worry about climate change. You need to worry about uh, water issues, clean water, drinking yeah. water around the world. That's the big issue. Climate change, uh, we won't have to worry about the effects of that for another 50 or 75 years. Isn't that what Andrew Willard said? Yes, that's what he said. And, of course, he's wildly wrong about that because we're dealing with it right now. Yeah, it should also be noted uh, that all of this flooding comes before we have even gotten to what is supposed to be the rainy season. Just to make that clear, sure, we have uh, flooding in spring often. We haven't gotten to that part of the season yet. No. On that, scientists have additional new warnings today. According to Seth Borenstein over at AP, the stage is now set for unprecedented major flooding this spring for most of the nation. According to U.S. weather officials on Thursday, more than 200 million Americans, 200 million Americans are now at risk for some kind of flooding, with 13 million of them at risk of major inundation. Noah explained uh, in its spring weather outlook that was released today about 41 million people are at risk of moderate flooding. Bought that flood insurance yet, by the way? Just asking. Major flooding uh, now occurring uh, in Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, Missouri, and other Midwestern states is a preview, they say, of an all-too-wet and dangerous spring, according to Mary Erickson, the deputy director of the National Weather Service. 
In fact, she says we expect the flooding to get worse and more widespread. A little thing about that flood insurance, mm-hmm. FEMA's flood insurance maps are out of date, wildly out of date. So, you know, don't just rely don't, don't on what that. the federal government tells you if you're in a flood zone or not. Go ahead and check with your county and your city and just make sure that you are dealing with the most up-to-date data on what we are expecting with 21st century flooding, not way back 20th century flooding. Yeah, <laughs> good advice. Erickson went on to say that this year's flooding, quote, could be worse than anything we've seen, even worse than the historic floods of 1993, which I remember well from Missouri and uh, and 2011, she said. Those those floods caused billions of dollars in damage. And officials said this year's damage in Nebraska, Iowa and South Dakota has already passed the billion dollar mark. But. You know, spending any any money to prevent any of this damage, uh, for example, with a Green New Deal. Well, we're told that's just too expensive. We don't have the money for that sort of thing. The uh, forecaster said the biggest risks include all three Mississippi River basins, the Red River of the north, the Great Lakes, plus the basins of the eastern Missouri River, Oh, and the lower Ohio River and the lower Cumberland River and the Tennessee River. And all the smaller rivers that feed into those rivers. Right. That's pretty much all the rivers at this point. This uh, Thomas Graziano, a 20-year Weather Service vet and director of the Office of Water Prediction. Did you know there's an Office of Water Prediction? I I think I did, actually. It's Uh, the National Water Center, so they're going to talk about that stuff. He said this is the broadest expanse of area in the U.S. that we have ever projected with an elevated risk, at least that I can remember, he says. Extra rain will bring more farm runoff with it down the Mississippi, which will then likely lead to more oxygen-starved areas in the Gulf of Mexico. Is that the so-called dead zone? Yes, that's where all of the fertilizer from all the farms in the Midwest, and of course they use a lot of it, gets washed all the way out to the Gulf of Mexico, where uh, microbes feed on it. When the microbes die, they take all the oxygen with them. In so the, yeah, it causes an allergy bloom. Everything dies. Well, everything that can't get out of the way. Uh, well, they warn that this is uh, likely going to be a larger summer dead zone than normal, according to uh, the director of NOAA's National Water Center in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Scientists said the conditions are consi- consistent with what they expect from global warming. Surprise. Texas A&M University climate scientist uh, Andrew Dessler said you can think of climate change as steroid for these rain events. University of Illinois climate scientist Donald Wubbles, co-author of a report released on Thursday on climate change in the Great Lakes, said we have been seeing a significant increase in precipitation coming as larger events, especially in the Midwest and Northeast over the last five to six decades. It will get worse. So flooding will be a bigger concern, he said. You know, there's been a lot of attention on coastal areas, sea level rise, not as much attention on uh, the in- increased amount of uh, precipitation due to global warming. Now, uh, National Weather Service is hoping people might begin to pay attention to that. Wobble said it will get worse, so flooding will get to be a bigger concern. But in many parts of the north and now the south today, it already is. 
So more on that and a whole bunch of other nightmares, but also some very good news from a federal court coming up on our GNR a little bit later today. So not all is lost. And we've got some very good news, actually, today out of a court in Wisconsin. Breaking uh, not long ago here on a uh, entirely separate nightmare that we've been uh, that we covered quite closely, as I said, last December. This is a a very big loss for Republicans and for former Governor Scott Walker in Wisconsin. It's a big win for Democrats and their new governor, Tony Evers, as well as the state's new attorney general, Josh Call. But I would say this story, most importantly, is a big win for voters and for democracy, period. And it's also uh, another ode to the importance of a strong, independent judiciary. A Wisconsin judge has blocked a set of laws that Republican lawmakers rammed through last December in an emergency lame duck session that was called by the legislature to curb the power of the state's then newly elected incoming governor, and Attorney General, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel today. Within hours of this uh, court ruling, Evers and Call used the decision to begin the process of removing Wisconsin from a multi-state lawsuit challenging the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare. Wisconsin was one of the leaders in that lawsuit, I believe with Texas, if I'm recalling, uh, that challenges the very existence, the very constitutionality of the Affordable Care Act until Thursday, thanks to the lame duck power grab by Republicans last November, Republican lawmakers had been able to prevent the new Democratic governor and Democratic attorney general from pulling out of that lawsuit. As they had promised when they campaigned just before they were elected across the state of Wisconsin. Now, the day began with uh, Dane County Circuit Judge, uh, Circuit Court Judge Richard Neese issuing a temporary injunction to block all of the lame duck laws after he found that the Republican-controlled legislature did not lawfully meet in order to pass them. He ruled that Republican leaders violated the state constitution by calling an extraordinary session to force this legislation through before the Democratic leaders, after they had been elected, but before they could assume their posts. A coalition of groups, including the League of Women Voters, Disability Rights Wisconsin, Black Leaders Organizing for Communities, uh, and three uh, voter uh, voter plaintiffs, they filed a lawsuit in in January over the lame duck session. They argued that the Wisconsin Constitution only permits the legislature to meet during regularly scheduled sessions or if, quote, convened by the governor in a special session. Read the state constitution. That's what it says for you uh, right wing textualists and originalists concerned about what the founders wanted. Uh, You can check out what the founders of Wisconsin wanted and what they said very clearly in the state constitution. Uh, And this, the judge notes, is because before statehood, as uh, the, the judge explained in his ruling, colonists had, quote, very real grievances with irregular legislative sessions. 
in order to so in order to, quote, constrain legislative overreach and safeguard the people's liberty from irregular, capricious, precipitous and unpredictable meetings of the legislature. The framers of the Wisconsin Constitution adopted a check on the legislature's otherwise unfettered discretion. In other words, they could only meet during regular sessions or if it was a session convened specifically by the governor. Uh, Over at Slate, our friend Mark Joseph Stern notes today on this story that uh, no statute permitted the Assembly to meet in December of 2018 in this extraordinary session. And for whatever reason, Nice wrote, The governor then, the Republican governor, Scott Walker, failed to exercise his constitutional authority to call a special session. Instead, a majority of just two legislative committees voted to convene the full assembly. In total, just eight lawmakers, five representatives and three senators, all of whom were Republicans, voted to convene this December special session. The legislature in that special session then passed three huge sweeping bills that took all forms of power away from uh, the incoming governor and the incoming attorney general. And, oh, yeah, uh, they appointed uh, some 82 uh, I'm sorry, they confirmed some 82 of Scott Walker's uh, midnight appointments. So in addition to striking down the lame duck laws, uh, the judge vacated those 82 appointments by GOP Governor Scott Walker to uh, various state boards and commissions that the GOP senators had desperately uh, confirmed during the same session that only eight of them actually called for in the first place. That is excellent news. I am glad to hear that folks way back, generations ago in Wisconsin, had the foresight to block these types of power grabs. Thanks, guys. The, yeah, no kidding. Uh, the ruling gives, uh, and by the way, they were the this power grab that they were doing was sort of modeled after a similar power grab down in North Carolina, where uh, back in 2016, where a Democrat was elected uh, to the governorship and the legislature, which was still controlled by Republicans, went crazy, took away all kinds of powers from the governor. Many of those were also overturned once again by an independent judiciary, which is still holding at the moment. Uh, The ruling in Wisconsin now gives the new governor, Evers, a chance to fill all of those appointments, those 82 that they had uh, jammed through Walker's last-minute appointments, uh, including ones at the University of Wisconsin Systems Board of Regents and Public Service Commission, etc., Governor Evers called the ruling a victory for the Wisconsin Constitution and immediately directed Attorney General Call to withdraw with Wisconsin from the Affordable Care Act and call quickly. Lawsuit. What did I say? You just oh, said the Affordable oh, from Care Act. from the Care Act. Yes. Oh, you're right. From, from, the, the from the lawsuit that was challenging the Affordable Care Act. Thank you. Uh, and uh, the AG then uh, quickly filed a motion to do exactly that. The pair, uh, the uh, Journal Sentinel uh, Sentinel notes that the pair had campaigned last year on getting the state out of that lawsuit, but Republicans included provisions in the lame duck laws that block them from doing so even after 
the two of them were successfully elected on that very promise across the state. Republicans don't care about what the public wants. Evers said in a statement the legislature overplayed its hand by using an unlawful process to accumulate more power for itself and override the will of the people. Despite the outcome of last November's elections, I look forward to putting this disappointing chapter behind us so we can move forward together to put the needs of the people of Wisconsin first. Minutes, by the way, just minutes after the judge issued the ruling today. Republican legislative leaders who wrote the laws promised to repeal it because, of course, they did. Uh, the president of the League of Women Voters uh, of the uh, of the United States said in a statement, the league stands up for democracy whenever it is attacked. And today's victory is a huge win for fairness in our system of government. Judge Neese in his ruling sided with the groups and barred anyone from enforcing the laws, any of the laws that were passed during the 24-hour floor period in uh, December. The bottom line, the judge wrote in this case, is that the legislature did not lawfully meet during its December 2018 extraordinary session, thereby violating the state constitution. The legislature's argument if accepted, would swallow much of the state constitution whole, he said. The uh, lame duck laws were introduced by uh, GOP lawmakers and then signed frantically by Governor Walker after Evers and Call had won their election, but before they took office. Senate Democratic leader Jennifer Schilling said in a statement, this is a win for Wisconsin voters. The lame duck session was a bait and switch to rush through more partisan bills to rig elections and consolidate power in the hands of Republican politicians. That, at least, comes to an end today, at least for now, at least until we see what the next court does on appeal. All right, quick break, and uh, we are back with uh, more important news (laughs) more breaking news, Uh, an an amazing uh, bit of information coming out of the Marine Corps today. We'll get to that right after this and much more. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Well, 
That's uncharacteristically militaristic of you, Desi Doyen. <laughs> well, hey, I love our Marines. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So uh, on Wednesday night, uh, Donald Trump spoke at a plant in Lima, Ohio, that makes military tanks. Uh, to, he was supposedly there to tout his uh, fantastic economy that they keep telling us we have and that we are told that it is thanks to him. Well, he tells us that yes. it's thanks to him. Repeatedly. And the fact that this plant in particular was still open, despite the fact that it is uh, making tanks there that the military says they actually do not want or even need. Of course, he took the opportunity to talk about how well he's taking care of the military and our vets. Uh, but in this speech, most of the attention uh, from that speech went to his attacks on the late Senator John McCain. And, you know, as with so much these days, uh, so much is paid attention to what Donald Trump says at any given time, as opposed to what he or his administration is actually doing. And that's just a big mistake to listen to what he's saying, because he's just making the stuff up as it comes into his brain and comes out of his mouth. It may even skip the brain part and just go straight to the mouth part. Frequently. Yeah. So it doesn't actually matter what Donald Trump says about anything at all anymore. Not kidding. I mean, I know it used to matter what presidents say, but hopefully the world knows not to listen to the words that come out of his mouth. So anyway, the words that came out of his mouth were attacking John McCain. This has upset a lot of Republicans uh, and a lot of other people as well. But more attention might have been paid to Trump's lies about how well he is taking care of the military, meeting their needs, uh, giving them what they want, rebuilding after uh, Barack Obama devastated the military. All of that, of course, is stuff and nonsense. Uh, Obama didn't uh, obliterate the military. Um, but Donald Trump, as far as taking care of the military... Yeah, not so much, according to a memo obtained and published today by the Los Angeles Times. According to Molly O'Toole there, she writes, The Commandant of the Marines, that's the head of the Marines, has warned the Pentagon that deployments to the southwest border, the U.S.-Mexico border, and, and funding transfers under the president's emergency declaration, among other unexpected demands, have posed, quote, unacceptable risk to Marine Corps combat readiness and solvency. In two internal memos, uh, Marine Corps General Robert Neller said the, quote, unplanned, unbudgeted deployment along the border that President Trump ordered last fall and shifts of other funds to support so-called border security had forced the Marines to cancel or reduce planned military training in at least five different countries. And it has forced them to delay urgent repairs at a number of bases. The border deployment and funding transfers, as well as recovery costs from Hurricanes Florence and Michael, along with new housing allowances and civilian pay raises, are now taking a toll on combat readiness, according to Neller. 
uh, in this uh, letter to Navy Secretary Richard Spencer, Spencer and the uh, still-acting Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan. The Times obtained and published copies of, the, of, of these memos dated March 18 and March 19, so just a few days ago. And they're kind of stunning to read them. Neller is a four-star general. He said because of the problems, Marines will not participate in planned training exercises in Indonesia, in Scotland, and Mongolia, and will reduce their participation in joint exercises with Australia and South Korea. He complained about canceling or shrinking the Marines' participation, quote, at a time, uh, at a time where we are attempting to double down on strengthening alliances and attracting new partners. Independent experts who reviewed Neller's memos uh, described the language as unusually strong, in particular because it cites the president's highest profile political priorities. Mandy Smithberger, a defense expert at the Project for Government Oversight, a nonpartisan independent watchdog group, said, quote, it's pretty unusual for the commandant to be raising concerns that a top that are a top political priority for the president. Uh, I'm sorry, raising concerns that a top political priority for the president is undermining the ability of the Marine Corps to do the training that they need. It looks like from Commandant Neller's perspective, he does think these policies are undermining readiness, she added. Todd Harrison, the director of defense budget analysis at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, said this is a pretty strongly worded memo. The border deployment is adding to the strain after hurricanes severely damaged Marine Corps facilities and housing in North Carolina and in Georgia, Neller wrote, citing limits on... It's amazing because these are all stories that we have been uh, covering in one way or another. Climate change affects everything, buddy. Uh, It sure does. And that's what the uh, U.S. military has been trying to say. And then there's the story of Donald Trump putting together a commission right now headed up by a climate change denier trying to rebut the military and their warnings that climate change is a national security issue. And then add to that the fact that he, he is further hurting readiness by shipping troops down to the border when they're not needed for his, uh, you know, pretend show of toughness down there. Uh, and then add to that the money that he's actually taking away from the military for reconstruction at these bases and upgrades at these bases that have been hurt by these storms. For his pretend national emergency. Anyway, uh, they're all coming together. And yes, the U.S. Marines have noted, uh, noticed. And yes, they are not happy about it. Uh, the uh, the Border Patrol is adding to the strains after hurricanes uh, in North Carolina and Georgia. Uh, He said, citing limits on his ability to transfer money because of the planned reprogramming under the so-called border emergency. Neller said that the Marines already are one point three billion dollars short for recovery operations this year and that with another hurricane season approaching. Neller writes in one of the memos that the hurricane season is only three months away and we have Marines, sailors and civilians working in compromised structures. 
Neller's red flag memos, as the L.A. Times describes them, come as the White House and Defense Department have sought to reassure wary lawmakers that the military has not been negatively affected by the deploy by the deployment to the border of roughly 6,000 service members from the Marines, the Army, Air Force and Navy since October, shortly before the midterm elections and the president's declaration of a national emergency there last month. Yes, in fact, all of those things apparently are hurting the military, at least according to the commandant of the Marines. On Wednesday, the paper notes the Trump uh, Trump visited the Army tank plant in Lima, Ohio, with acting uh, Secretary of Defense Shanahan in tow. He appeared on stage flanked by the tanks. If you saw the 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 the, the, the video, mostly probably of him berating uh, John McCain, you saw the tanks behind him. Well, those are the tanks that the Pentagon has said that it does not want. Nonetheless, Trump touted budget boosts for the military, which he said, quote, very soon will be stronger than it ever was. Well, apparently not. If you actually bother to listen to the commanders of the military, and I don't think that Congress is going to be very happy to hear about this memo. They're already unhappy with Trump and his support for Saudi Arabia in their war against Yemen. Uh, and with the, the GOP-controlled Senate last week passing a resolution to end all uh, support for all military and, and uh, uh, financial support to the Saudis for that war. And now comes this. That's not going to go over well in Congress. Also, I don't know whether, how this is going to go over in Congress, but it shouldn't go over well with the American people. One of the stories that I've been trying to get to for the past week or two, the Pentagon plans to begin flight tests this year of two types of missiles that have been banned for more than 30 years by a treaty from which uh, first President Trump and then shortly thereafter President Vladimir Putin of Russia have both announced that they are withdrawing. Uh, this was back, uh, well, the, the flight test will begin in August, according to defense officials, a week or so ago, in a story that got very little coverage, but it seems to me like it should. The AP notes that by moving forward with these missile, missile projects, the Pentagon is not excluding the possibility that the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, or INF Treaty, could still survive, although it is most likely to be terminated in August. At that point, Washington and Moscow would no longer face any legal constraints on deploying land-based crews or ballistic missiles with ranges between 300 and, uh, 310 miles to 3,400 miles. The INF Treaty has been in effect since it was struck and signed by then-President Ronald Reagan and then-Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev back in 1987. But all of that is being scrapped. And there is a remarkable dearth of coverage of this, it seems to me, and frankly a remarkable dearth of concern, much less outrage, from members of Congress, much less Republican members of Congress who still pretend to revere Ronald Reagan. Well, Donald Trump is not just tearing up the Paris Climate Agreement. He's not just trying to tear up the Affordable Care Act. He's also 
successfully tearing up one of the landmark treaties that was uh, struck and designed and signed by their hero, Ronald Reagan. The INF Treaty was an arms control landmark in the final years of the Cold War, but it began unraveling a few years ago when Washington accused Russia of developing, testing, and more recently deploying a cruise missile that the U.S. says violates the treaty. Russia denies that it does violate the treaty and contends that the U.S. accusation is a ploy to destroy the treaty, which includes mechanisms built into it for dealing with allegations from uh, one side or another that the other side uh, is cheating. But rather than employ those mechanisms to work out the disagreements, Trump simply announced he was pulling the U.S. out of the historic pact entirely, the pact that has helped keep the peace between the U.S. and Russia and its satellite proxies for three decades now. Intermediate-range weapons are regarded as particularly destabilizing around the globe because of the short time that they take to reach a target. When uh, he announced on February 1 that the U.S. would pull the plug on the INF Treaty, Trump said his administration would, quote, move forward with developing a military response to Russia's alleged violations. Uh, defense, official, uh, defense officials recently spelled out that military response with their plan for developing these two non-INF-compliant missiles. The officials uh, who spoke to a small group of reporters under Pentagon ground rules that did not permit use of their names or titles, so you know they are very proud of this effort that they won't put their names or titles behind, uh, those officials said that one project is a low-flying cruise missile with a potential range of about 1,000 kilometers. The other would be a ballistic missile with a range of roughly three to 4,000 kilometers. Neither would be nuclear-armed, they say. The cruise missile recalls a uh, nuclear-armed U.S. weapon that was deployed in Britain and several other European NATO nations in the 1980s, but with the signing of the INF Treaty, those missiles were withdrawn and destroyed. The defense officials said that U.S. allies in Europe and Asia have not yet even been consulted about deploying either new missile on their territory. One defense official said it was possible that the intermediate-range ballistic missile could be deployed on Guam. That's a U.S. territory, which would be close enough to Asia to pose a threat to China and Russia. Daryl Kimball, the executive director of the Arms Control Association, uh, said that it is unwise for the U.S. and NATO to match an unhelpful action by Russia with another unhelpful action. The alliance also needs to develop a post-INF arms control strategy because, as Kimball says, quote, if the U.S. tries to bully NATO into accepting deployment of such missiles, it is going to provoke a destabilizing action-reaction cycle and, yes, a missile race. So, you know, there is one thing that I have long uh, agreed with uh, Donald Trump on. When it uh, at least when it comes to Russia, even going back to the campaign when he insisted that it would be better to have a, a good relationship with the nuclear armed country. Uh, and uh, frankly, I agree. I found uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama's chest pounding about Russia 
And in truth, there are threats and, and charges that uh, Putin is a tyrant, he's a dictator. Whether it's true or not, I found that to be unhelpful and, frankly, unseemly, unbecoming of a, uh, of a potential president and former secretary of state at the time during the campaign when Hillary Clinton was doing it. I think it would be good to have better relations with Russia, as Trump has claimed that he wants. But breaking treaties with them... And lighting up another nuclear arms race with them is decidedly not a better relationship, at least as far as I see it. And frankly, it puts the lie to the one aspect of Trump's claims about Russia that I might have uh, that I did, in fact, agree with, that we should be on better terms with them. Well, if better terms now includes a new nuclear arms race. Yeah, sorry. I can't go with that. And as it turns out, uh, as we now learn because of all of this, turns out Trump was and is a liar. Who could have possibly guessed it? But yes, he's a liar on this matter as well. So, so much for the one thing about which I didn't think Donald Trump was crazy. Quick break and we're back with... The crazy Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Just so you don't think I don't love you, uh, two uh, quick breaking news headlines here before we get to our Green News report. Uh, apparently, the uh, EU has now agreed to delay Brexit for uh, the UK, which has begged them to uh, please let us delay it. Uh, they'll delay it. Uh, they're agreeing to allow it to be delayed until May 22. It was supposed to happen March 29. So it'll be delayed until May 22, as long as members of parliament approve a withdrawal deal next week, which seems still like a long shot, frankly, uh, that would otherwise be delayed until April 12 if they cannot come up with a deal. Uh, my bet this Brexit is, thing is never going to happen. It's, uh, it's just, a crazy, it's, it's crazy insane. mess. It's well, awful. One other, uh, a uh, Florida man has now pleaded guilty to sending a wave of bombs. Oh, yeah. Remember that uh, those pipe bombs that were sent last year to yes. a whole bunch of enemies of Donald Trump's? Yes. The guy with the crazy white van that was covered in anti-Hillary, yep. anti-everything stickers. Sent him to CNN, to George Soros, uh, yes. to everybody who uh, that guy uh, uh, Trump identified as an enemy. He has now pleaded guilty there. All right. With that. 
that said, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Fifteen states are under watches and warnings as floodwaters rush downstream. Staggering economic losses from extreme weather and historic floods in the upper Midwest. Most of the threats from climate change are 50 to 75 years out. Trump EPA chief Wheeler pushes more dangerous delay on climate change. We are running out of runway to be able to fix this problem. While 2020 Democratic presidential candidates push climate change solutions. Plus, federal judge blocks oil and gas drilling in Wyoming in Holy Grail ruling. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I think it'd be great to have someone who believes in science and gravity in the White House. I think that would be great. Dreamer, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, big news out of a, uh, a federal court concerning oil and gas drilling in Wyoming, but maybe even more states? Yes, this could be a very big deal. A federal judge this week temporarily halted oil and gas drilling on nearly 500 square miles in Wyoming, ruling that the Trump Bureau of Land Management violated federal law in failing to account for climate change impacts when selling oil and gas leases. He ruled that the government must consider climate change impacts more broadly when it leases huge swaths of public land for drilling. The judge ordered the BLM to redo a full environmental analysis. But the ruling could have major implications for the fight to stop the expansion of oil and gas drilling on public lands. Jeremy Nichols of Wild Earth Guardians, one of the plaintiffs in the case, said, quote, this is the holy grail ruling we've been after that calls into question the legality of oil and gas leasing that is happening everywhere. So basically the judge is saying that the government must take into account the cumulative effect of burning all of this oil and gas that is being pulled out of the ground rather than just the immediate environmental effect of opening up a drilling site? Exactly. That is a big deal. In Texas, firefighters finally extinguished that massive fire at a petrochemical storage facility near Houston. The cause of the fire is still unknown. Company officials had reassured skeptical residents that the giant plume of toxic chemical smoke across the region was not hazardous to people's health. But on Thursday morning, Deer Park City officials issued a shelter-in-place order after elevated levels of extremely toxic benzene were detected. Yeah, but the company says there's nothing to worry about, so I'm just going to go with that, Des. Meanwhile, in the record flooding in the upper Midwest, the staggering economic impacts are starting to come into focus. While it will take time for climate scientists to do an attribution study to determine the exact fingerprint of global warming on this particular flood event, preliminary estimates indicate that the economic losses to farmers and ranchers in Nebraska alone could top one billion and it's not over yet. New snow melt and spring rains could create additional flooding in weeks ahead, putting pressure on already compromised levees. So keep that in mind when you hear that the Trump Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Andrew Wheeler this week dismissed climate change, saying that unsafe drinking water around the world is a much bigger global threat. That's a, that's a crisis that I think we can solve. 
Most of the threats from climate change are 50 to 75 years out. Oh, so why worry? (laughs) Well, the EPA's own recent national climate assessment states outright that, quote, the impacts of climate change are already being felt in communities across the country. Wow. Someone ought to tell Andrew Wheeler, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. But Democrats have proposed mobilizing the nation to address climate change now through the Green New Deal resolution, the only plan put forth by anyone in politics so far that is commensurate with the speed and scope that scientists say is necessary to deal with the climate impacts that are already here today and the worse impacts that are projected for coming decades. In a CNN town hall this week, Democratic Senator and 2020 presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts slammed the Trump administration climate science denial as dangerous to the nation. We need to be thinking about infrastructure in terms of hardening our infrastructure against the climate change that's coming our way and in terms of building green energy infrastructure. Warren's urgency was underscored by South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, also a 2020 Democratic presidential hopeful on Fox News. We have got to do this. This this timetable isn't being set in Congress. It's being set by reality. It's being set by science and it's going to hit those Those deadlines are going to hit in our climate with or without us, and so we have to act. What the Green New Deal gets right is it recognizes there's also a lot of economic opportunity in this. Retrofitting buildings means a huge amount of jobs for the building trades in this country. I view that as a good thing. Oh, Mayor Pete, a timetable set by reality. That is so 2015. (laughs) For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Reality used to be a friend of mine. Reality used to be a friend of mine. Maybe why it's a question that's on your mind, but reality... Oh, reality. Oh, indeed. And a quick follow-up to that Houston chemical plant fire that's now been put out. The shelter-in-place order was lifted a couple of hours later, but President Trump's 2020 budget proposal would cut the EPA's funding by 31%. That is the largest cut to any federal agency. We don't need them. What do we need the EPA for? Ask those people in Houston what they think. Uh, And by the way, that decrease includes cuts to programs that target air pollution. And Trump has also sought to eliminate the U.S. Chemical Safety Board. They're the ones that investigate these problems, these accidents, and they make recommendations that then state and local and federal agencies adopt. And their work is considered crucial to chemical oversight in general. Yeah. In uh, Houston, they were already dealing with uh, chemical issues after those hurricanes and now uh, after this uh, horrific uh, chemical fire. Thank you very much. Our producer, Desi Doyen, my thanks all. Also to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's busy program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to hear from you. And I hope you will find, follow, and share what we do here on the Bradcast, on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where you can find me at the Brad blog. Also, as ever, thanks to those of you who help Desi and I continue to do what we do every day over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You're the ones who keep us on the air, which uh, may or may not be a good thing, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> bradblog.com slash donate. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Reality used to be a fun to mind. Reality-
reality used to be a friend of mine Maybe why it's a question that's on your mind But reality used to be a friend of mine Reality used to be a friend of mine Reality used to be a friend of mine Please don't ask me cause I don't know why But reality used to be a friend of mine I used to be friends with reality She used to be a pal real close to me But she tried to hide from me what was in store Tried to house me but a house has doors I was insane and the picture was crazy So the relevance here